Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert and I'll be your host. Today I'm going to pick up where I left off with the last podcast and discuss the art of creating radio dramas. I have finished The Lost Disciple at this point and done some work on Malevolence, so I've got a lot more insight into this. Unfortunately, to get the most out of this, it's going to have to be a video. I'm going to have to show the process visually as well as through an audio format, but that's coming later. I'm actually going to create a specific drama to do a sort of class on it to really get into it, but as a good starting point, this podcast is definitely going to get someone going where they need to be. So before I talked about the fact that you needed to cast it and all of the technical stuff, that was sort of my focus. But it didn't dawn on me that someone might be thinking, you know, I really love radio dramas in general, or audio dramas if you'd prefer, but I'm not even sure how to start from square one, which in this case would be creating a script, writing the story, actually getting out there and building the drama itself from the absolute ground up. So I'm going to divide this podcast into two parts. First is going to be talking about creating the script. And then the second is going to be about casting your drama so that you can bring people in talent, voice talent, and get them working. So let's start with the screenplay. This isn't going to take a lot of time because ultimately it's a lot like writing any kind of script. If you've written a play or you've read a play, uh, you've read a screenplay for a movie, you pay a lot of attention during films, maybe you close your eyes once in a while and just listen to folks talk. Whatever the case may be, this is going to get you started. Basically, the big difference between writing this and, say, a play is that you need to be really thinking uh, that you don't have the visual benefits of those other mediums. You don't have a quick shot that shows an earring on the ground. You need to be able to describe that somehow for the, for the listener, and whether that's through a narrator who kind of guides them through the action or the dialogue of the characters to give them the information they need. Everything has to be told or experienced through the atmosphere of sound and music. So let's say we have a character who is transitioning from one scene to the next. And for whatever reason, it's important to the story itself that this character perform this motion. And maybe we just need the passage of time Maybe we want to explain something. Now, you could have them do um, some inner monologue. They might be thinking about what they just did and what they're about to experience. You could have a narrator expressing their emotions if you'd like. I did some of this with the lost disciple when the doctor would leave the asylum for the night and sort of convey what she was doing. It wasn't super important specifically what she was up to, but I'd mention things like she went off and did her obligations, but she was distracted because she was thinking about the main character's story. And then when he is uh, welcoming her back into his room, it sort of just transitions right back into the story. But we've had a sense that there has been a day or a night or several hours or whatever the case may be, just so that it doesn't feel like it's taking place in like an hour or whatever. However long your story is, it just gives it some sense of, of length. And, and motion of time, and that's important. But ultimately, what your job is when writing the screenplay is to ensure that you are thinking that the visuals are all going to be conveyed through the audio. There is not going to be pictures. There's not going to be animation. There's not going to be people. And if we're experienced with screenplays primarily, then we fall back on a sense that the camera is going to show a lot for us. So we really have to get back to novel roots or short stories where you are painting visual images with words and think about that. Now, of course, you don't want to get too wordy. You don't want a narrator to describe the entire scene because most of that is not entirely necessary. You kind of want to give it some sense of where they're at, but it's not as important as you might think. A great example is in the Dark Adventure Radio Theater drama, The Reanimator. It begins with Herbert West's partner having a sort of deposition. He's sitting there with his attorney. 
They're speaking with the judge and they're talking about what he did. They don't really describe the chambers. They don't discuss what the room looks like. They don't give you a sense of what the chair is that he's sitting in or any of that stuff at all. In fact, they don't even describe the characters. You have no idea what they even look like for the most part. In fact, the real descriptions begin when we start talking about what Herbert West looks like. So in that sense, it's not important for that sort of exposition in the radio drama. The drama itself simply requires that you tell the story. And honestly, it's a lot easier to write a drama than it is any other form of entertainment because you are just getting it out there, the exact information that is necessary to tell what's happening. There's a lot of dialogue on these, tons in fact. And, and even when it's not information that is being conveyed between two people to one another, I've noticed that a lot of it is a person telling the story to someone else, whether it's because they're reading from a journal or they're expressing their experiences. These are the kinds that I'm really dedicated to. Now, on that note, let me take another step over to the Big Finish Productions. They do a lot of these dramas as well. Now, for them, the Doctor Who ones specifically, they play out a lot more like an episode. The only difference is, is that the characters spend a little bit more time describing the things they see because they're so alien or crazy that you kind of need their help to visualize whatever they're talking about. But with their Dark Shadows production, more specifically, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in there. Like the beginning of one I just listened to is one guy talking for, I think, almost 15 minutes. And he's just monologuing, explaining what's been happening and what he's been doing in Collinsport. And then it moves into a conversation between two people. Now, sometimes these conversations sound pretty contrived because they're saying things we wouldn't normally bother with in everyday conversation. We don't spend a moment to describe what we're about to do in a sort of a side way where we're like side-eyeing the audience going, ah, we're going to go up to so-and-so place today. Don't you remember? Because obviously we remember everyone's got the bags packed. We're ready to go. But they use that conversation to describe what's going to happen and where they're going and what the places look like. So you've got all that kind of thing. Now, I'm going to go into a lot more detail about all of this stuff when I make a video. But I think that's a really good primer for what to do with your, basically your script. Especially when it comes to getting people involved and helping them to understand what you're trying to get out of their character and their performance. Now, as of the recording of this, we're still in the pandemic. It's still not the most safe thing to invite folks over and have them hang out in your small space if, if you do have a small studio. If you have a big one, more power to you. Invite as many people over as you can stomach. But for the most part, we're working online. Now, there are folks out there who are going to work with you and get paid enough to where you're going to be able to micromanage and direct them the entire time, which is awesome. That's kind of ideal. But in the cases where you cannot do that, then you need to provide them as much direction as you can before they begin and make sure that you both understand what's going on. So let's segue from the script into casting and how to work with that cast once you have them. When I just worked on the Lost Disciple and the Malevolence radio drama series, I turned to the online community to get actors to perform these parts. In the past, I've worked with friends or people in town, and they came over and used all of our gear, and I just knew exactly what I was going to get out of those situations. Doing it solely online or even through a broker like... Upworks or Fiverr or whatever else, you are running a little bit of a risk because you don't know what kind of equipment they have. You don't know the environment they're going to be working out of. There's just a lot of unknown elements in those cases. But you can tell for the most part, they've got samples. Some of them are willing to send you samples and you can really, you can communicate with them as much as you want. Now, that said, you may want to temper yourself a little bit because if you push too hard or you're just too much of a micromanager, it may not be worth it to them 
to continue the relationship. So you really need to understand where you're coming from before you even get there. And what I mean by that is you need to understand your characters and how they're going to sound. You need to practice this entire production with by yourself or with a friend or your spouse or whoever. You need to at least read through it a few times so you understand the script. Now, while it is your story, that doesn't necessarily mean you fully grasp everyone right out of the gate. With The Lost Disciple, my wife and I read through the script, I'd say six or seven times before I felt comfortable casting it and bringing other people in. And then at that point, I sort of knew what I wanted the characters to sound like, but I was also open to interpretation. And the reason for that is that sometimes you'll find someone that sounds really incredible and they may not have been exactly what you were thinking, but their interpretation may end up being cooler or even better than anything you were thinking about. So let's step back. Casting. You head out there and you start listening to samples. Well, what are you listening for? What specific flags should you be paying attention to, red or otherwise? What's good? What's bad? Well, in the case of quality, that really comes down to what you can tolerate. In some cases, you're going to hear some samples where you're like, wow, what are they recording that on? Is that their phone? Are they using a really cheap microphone? Do they've got a bad environment with lots of reverb or echo going on? Are they doing it in their bathroom? It's hard to tell, but you just know it's not the highest of quality. They didn't maybe buy the best microphone or even a middling microphone. You know, they don't even have a, a blue Yeti and yet here they are selling their services. You might tolerate some quality issues if the performances are amazing. Something that I find is frustrating is that I've encountered some folks that have quality issues, but their passion for the projects is so intense that it's kind of worth it to just work around that. There are some dark adventure radio theater dramas that when you listen, you can tell that the person was not in the studio with them recording it. They might've even just been in a darn closet because there's just this sort of echo or it sounds hollow. It just sounds different. And yet they released it and they're making gobs of drama still. They just keep pumping them out. So it's clear that they are being successful with them despite having one or two issues with quality. So ultimately, when you're listening for quality, the thing that's most important is that it's just clear. It doesn't have any sort of artifacts. You don't hear echo off the ceiling. You don't hear like they're in a tin can, that kind of thing. You're, you're just listening for a very distinctly clear and, and color-free voice. It's just them, no distortion, any of that stuff. Now, You'll probably get that with their samples because they've done all kinds of stuff to them, whether it's produced them or maybe they've gone ahead and done a bunch of uh, effects on them to remove things like their breathing or they've normalized it, whatever the case may be. Usually they're putting their best foot forward and that's, that's just going to be obvious. Of course, if you hop onto someone's site and you find that the quality is absolutely terrible even in their samples, you probably just want to move on. The nice thing about casting is that there are hundreds of people available. You're going to find the person you want. I personally was trying to sort of weed through the hundreds of people, but I ultimately had to place an ad on Fiverr to get the people I wanted and have them apply to me. And that way I could control several aspects of the casting process. First off, I could specifically state who I was looking for. I'm looking for a woman capable of a British accent. I'm looking for a guy who sounds like he's from the southern part of the United States. Whatever the case may be. I could also put my budget in there, which is extremely important. I could tell them that I needed to have full broadcast rights included in whatever bid they tossed my way. Let's talk about those brokers for a minute. Fiverr and Upworks, that sort of thing. They do have the option for the talent to use things like broadcast rights or commercial rights or whatever the case may be. And it's just an added fee on top of whatever else they charge. So most folks charge by the number of words that you're going to present to them. So 
For example, maybe they charge $20 for 500 words, which is roughly about a page of, of, of information. Then if you want to add broadcast rights, which is the ability to place it on the internet or put it on YouTube or whatever, then they could charge another 20 bucks on top of that. So you have to be mindful because this can get very expensive very quickly. Some people really charge a lot of money and they have a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I'm not saying that talent doesn't deserve the money that they, they charge. I mean, they are providing a service and they absolutely should be paid for it. I have my opinions on how to rate yourself when it comes to doing voice work online, specifically for small projects like doing an audio drama from some unknown person like myself, or if, if you are brand new and nobody's ever heard of you and you've never sold a novel or something, then you're not a money pit. You're not someone to gouge for a bunch of cash, but some people are pretty uncompromising about how much they want to charge. And again, that's totally fine. That's, that's great for them, especially if they're getting tons of work. And maybe they are. Maybe they have plenty on their plate and you bringing them your project is not necessarily going to change their lives. So they're just going to stick to their guns. The people that I tend to look for are the ones that are going to be really excited about the project and are going to go above and beyond just because they want to be involved in it. And so we come back to the brokers, Fiverr, Upworks. Very often, you're either getting an audio book, and quite honestly, the, the majority of books that come through there are nonfiction. They're things like diet guides or how to be an IT leader or project management, all kinds of just sort of mundane, modern things that people wrote a book about and they want an audio book version, which can be a little dry. Let's be honest. As a voice actor, you probably get into the business because you've watched an anime and loved the person in there, or you watched an animation and you thought, I could probably do that. So your passions didn't come because you listened to a book on how to make pasta. It came because you saw some cool thing that you personally love, whether it was just a romance or a thriller or whatever. And, and so you wanted to do some voice acting. And of course the most work available ends up being commercial, whether it's something like doing an explainer video where you're going to talk about a company's business policies when it comes to jumping in as an employee, or you do a YouTube channel for someone about, I don't know, television shows, whatever the case may be, the vast majority of your work is going to be this sort of commercial, not necessarily the most exciting type of work. It's almost just like keep the lights on stuff. So when a creative project comes along, whether it be a, a fiction novel that's really cool, maybe a video game, or in this case, an audio drama, it, it might be something that really appeals to some voice actors. In other words, they might get really excited about the prospect that they're going to get to interpret and learn a character and play that character out in a format that is way different than the commercial stuff that they primarily do. Those are the people that I am interested in working with. And it's not because I want to get a bunch of free work from them. It's because when they do it, I want them to be having fun because I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to doing creative projects, if someone isn't having fun, it's super obvious, super fast. You listen to their work and you're like, whoa, the guy is just done. Like, this is just his day job, and he wants to move on. He's got other things on his mind. You want the person to invest themselves in it a little bit, which is how I direct them. We'll talk about that in a second. So when you're listening to these samples, and you even maybe you'll find someone who sounds like they would be perfect, but then you look at their rates, and you're like, whoa, that's, that's insane. I can't spend $700 for, like, 2,000 words. You know, it's like five pages of information and it's just too much money. You know, you're not hiring Steve Bloom to do it. I'm, I'm sure he's a lot more expensive. But I mean, once we start talking about hundreds of dollars, we need to be very sure of several things. So first off, the reason that I want someone invested is because I don't want it to be one off. They deliver the project. I accept it and we walk away. 
if something needs to change or needs to be fixed, then it's really nice to have a relationship with that person so that if you missed something when you did your initial uh, check of their work, that you can go back to them and they might still help you out. So that's very important, is finding someone who really enjoyed it so that when you do need a little help, they're still going to be there for you. Another thing is, is let's say you're doing a long-running series, okay? And you want someone to play a character who's going to be in multiple seasons of your work. And you ain't going to pull this off in two months. You're going to be doing this for a year, maybe two, maybe five. Maybe you've really got it planned out. You want to make sure that you get someone that you can work with throughout that time. They're not someone who's just like, you know, I'm just doing this voice acting thing for a little while before I go off and become an astronaut. So, you know, I might not be available in six months. And it's it's not like you can ask someone, well, are you for sure going to be available for the next 10 years of your life so that you can do this character? That's That's not really what I'm talking about. You just want to get the sense that this is something they enjoy doing and that they're going to continue to do voice acting for at least the foreseeable future. As long as nothing happens, they're having a great time and they're going to be available for you. Then we'll talk about the bid, okay? Let's say you find someone and you think they sound fantastic and their prices, at least from their site and the information you have, they seem reasonable. So you're going to go ahead and, and reach out and see what you can do. There's some really important things that you need to make sure you're doing when you make this contact. First off, you're selling your project to them. You're trying to convince them to do it. And yes, you're going to be paying them, so that should seem simple enough. But you don't want to just buy their job through the broker and then just throw them the stuff and call it a day. That's just all kinds of bad. And it's worse for you because they'll probably do it in fact, on some of these broker sites, it's it's a penalty to them if they just cancel. So you need to make sure that you reach out and have a conversation. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to happen before you give them this the, the script and tell them go. You need to talk through a whole bunch of stuff. There's all kinds of things that are an issue here. So first off, let's talk about just the price in general. If you reach out to them, you're going to be beholden to whatever they charge. You might be able to negotiate, but for the most part, it's kind of in bad taste because they did put those prices up for a reason. And unless they say specifically, hey, I'm willing to negotiate, you coming in and trying to lowball their prices, it's, it's just kind of crap. If you really want your own price, you need to post the job yourself in whatever forum or format you want to use. And we'll talk about that in a second because that's my preferred method. So when you get them on the hook, you need to see, is this something that they want to do? I've had a couple of people who are like, nah, I prefer my commercial gigs. I'm just doing this for the money. Uh, it's better than working outside of the home and I do a good enough job and you know, this isn't really for me, so I don't want to try and figure it out. And hey, that's cool too. Those are the folks that I don't want to work with, even if they were like, well, yeah, I'd do it. I prefer them to be honest and say, that's not really why I got into this. I'm not in this to be a character actor. I don't want to play characters like that. I just want to read people's copy and make it exciting and sell stuff for them. Cool. Right on. Let's move on. So since the next part of the bid also takes uh, a big chunk out of what I need to talk about when you're placing your own ad, I'm just going to do that. And then you can apply that to what you need to do when you talk to them. So when I place an ad for a voice actor, I'm going to give as much information as I can without it being overwhelming. So for example, with malevolence, there is profanity and there is some sexual content in the story. And so I want to make that clear to whoever wants to bid that this is something that is going to come up. And if you have a problem using profanity or you don't want to talk about sexual stuff, uh, regardless of the range, from you know the soft core stuff you see on Cinemax back in 1987, all the way up to full-on erotica, you need to make it clear, where does your project lie? If you just wrote an erotic audio drama, you don't want someone to come into it with all this enthusiasm, only to find out that it's stuff they won't do. I mean, I've read a lot of folks who are not interested in doing anything with profanity or sexual content. So you really need to be very upfront with that sort of thing. I did make this mistake. So this is the voice 
of experience where I didn't put in the profanity thing. I wasted someone's time going all through the, the basic parts that I needed them to do. And I said, Hey, by the way, I totally forgot, but there's some profanity. Is that going to be a problem? They said, yeah, I'm afraid that is. And so we basically wasted a good three or four hours of going back and forth, having a great conversation only to find out that they weren't going to be able to do what I needed them to do because I wasn't up front with something that in my mind wasn't a big deal. So you got to be mindful just because you don't care about profanity and you sound like a pirate at home doesn't mean someone that you contact is going to be just as liberal about language. So very important aspect. So when I cast my pieces, I basically start by saying I am casting a character who will be in this drama. So here is just an example. I'm casting a character for a vampire audio drama that has profanity and some sexual content. The character you will be playing is a woman who needs to have an Austrian accent or at least a vague Hollywood European accent. You'll be doing 8,000 words. I need your bid to include broadcast and commercial rights. And my budget is $400. So that's how I present it. And then that way, people who are looking for work will look at my ad and go, I could probably do that for that budget. And I'm willing, I don't care about those conventions of, of the erotic stuff or whatever. And then they can reach out to me and say, hey, this is what I have to offer. And in some cases, they say, I can't do it for as low as you want. It would actually cost an extra 50 bucks. Or I, you know, can do it for less even. I've actually had people come to me and, and lowball, which I always thought was kind of strange. There may be a few other things you want to include in your ad as well, such as the quality of the file. Maybe you want to wave file at a specific bit rate or whatever. All of that information could be included in your initial request because maybe someone can't provide that for whatever reason. I mean, they should be able to. They're, if they're a professional voice actor using any tool out there, they can probably provide you with, with the information you need, but whatever. Whatever case, if you feel like it's something that might disqualify someone, that they might read it and go, oh, that's not for me, you might include it. Now, let's say somebody finally does hop on your job and they want to do it. And again, we're dealing with the internet and we're talking about a brokerage like Fiverr or Upworks. In those cases, for the most part, you're going to be beholden to their communication method. Now, Fiverr does have a video chat option. And I know that with Upwork, I've had to call people to work with them before. So they're a little bit more liberal about allowing you to communicate outside the platform. But Fiverr really wants to keep everything on their site. And it's because they're afraid they're going to lose their 20% fee because you're going to be like, so now that we're talking on the phone, I'd be happy to send you that money on PayPal and I'll even give you the extra 20% you're losing, whatever. So if you're using one of those sites, you're going to be chatting with them on the chat program, or you're going to use the video chat, whatever you want to do, but you're going to have to convey the story in more detail now. Again, you don't want to give too much during the process of your ad because you're just going to be wasting a lot of time. I mean, that's just too much information. You want it to be quick copy. It's an elevator pitch at that point. So now that you've got them on the hook and you're going to work together or potentially, you can tell them more about the story. Hey, this is my story, Malevolence. It's about a really, really old vampire who meets a younger woman who thinks that she might be the reincarnated of a former lover and they're going to go on this crazy adventure of trying to figure it out. And there's a whole bunch of roadblocks along the way, and there's a ton of other characters, but I'm really looking to have you play the lead character, and here's what she's like. And then you allow them to go, yep, that sounds great. I'm really excited. That sounds super fun. Then you say, okay, well, here, what I really need from you is could you please provide me with a sample of these three paragraphs, and here's how I'd like to direct it. And then you you offer them some direction. At this point in the process, I generally ask them, what is the best way for you to receive direction? Do you prefer me to maybe record my direction? I can speak it into a microphone and provide it to you as a WAV file so that you can hear what I have to say. 
would you rather me give you a document that details out emotions and gives you a background of the character and that sort of thing? Or do you need to do a video chat where we go through it and back and forth a little bit until we are on the same page for the character? You got to be willing to work with them however they work. Now, in some cases, you might get a sample back and find that the communication method that they have suggested is not going to work. Maybe you can't get out of them what you need. And at this point, you are a director and you are trying to work to bring a project to life. So you need to be discerning and you need to ensure that you are going to walk away with a product that you are willing to pay for. You don't want them to waste their time recording this huge project or even a small one. And then you find out that number one, you just wasted their time. If you try to do something like cancel the order or number two, you end up paying them anyway, because it's probably the right thing to do, but you can't use the work. So it's important to get all of that out up front. So if you're working with the brokerages, then you really need to just do as much top work as you can before you start the project with that person. Whether that is really ensuring that they understand the character through whatever means necessary, or if you want to basically micromanage it, and you better make sure they're okay with that, because if they're not, you're wasting your time again. Then you can do that too. In the case of Malevolence, I worked with so many different actors, I really did get an opportunity to see a full spread of how people work. So one person really loved the idea of having a full background for the character. I wrote up a whole bunch of information that just basically defined what they were all about and where they came from and who they were and their relationship with their parents and basically how they made friends. And then I gave them direction for every scene. I said, during this scene, the character is feeling X, Y, and Z. They are communicating with someone they haven't talked to in a long time. And I really went into detail for them so that they really understood the mindset of the character. So they could read that information and approach the character from that place. Then I had somebody who like couldn't get it. They just didn't understand with my write-up. And that was totally fine. We ended up having to have a phone call. We had a phone conversation, lasted about 15 minutes. And by the end, I got exactly what I wanted. I had another person who just couldn't understand that I didn't want their commercial voice, that I just wanted them to play the character. And once that was worked out, they sounded great too. So there's a whole lot of things that go into this process. Everybody is different, just like you got visual learners and audio audible learners and all that kind of stuff. The actors are the same way. And once you figure it out, it's usually pretty easy to work together and get them what they need and get what you want out of the performance. It's just a matter of really making sure that you understand that. Now, when you're working on these broker sites, you are beholden to some of their rules. And in some cases, it's not the most conducive way to get a voice actor to work with you very well. I mean, first off, I had 13 episodes of Malevolence. And in some cases, the actors were performing in multiple episodes. Some of them were really cool and they delivered uh, each episode as they did it. So I could listen to it and make sure that we were on the same page and they were going the right direction. And others, despite the fact that they seemed really impassioned by the project and excited to be doing it, just waited till the last day that it was due and then delivered everything at once. Now, that's not to say they weren't all amazing. They were all really cool people. I really did vet them all and work closely with them prior to starting a job. So I trusted them for the most part. And all of them have been amazing in the fact that they have allowed me to come back and say, hey, you know, I did find a small mistake here. Would you mind fixing it? And they've been really, really cool about that. So for the most part, I'd say I had great luck this time around. I'm not entirely sure I would continue to use the brokers to do audio dramas in the future for a whole lot of reasons. I kind of want to have more control over how the actor performs their work. And that's, I'm not to say that I want to be a micromanaging jerk. I just want to kind of be there at least virtually to work through some of the character parts and make sure that we're getting the inflection right, that the character is actually speaking to someone else, that they feel like there's a dialogue going on. 
Because that's another thing. Some of them were like, I need the whole script so that I can actually see what I'm responding to. And some people like, just send me my part. If someone says, just send me my part, then they're not going to be doing a very good job on presenting you the dialogue because they have no idea what they're responding to. And anyone like that is literally treating it like a commercial. So you need someone who's at least interested enough to read the other person's stuff as they go through. So they read, you know, whatever came before and then they respond to that and they can be thinking, well, someone else said that. It would be really nice to work with someone that I could actually say, here's what the other guy sounds like. This is him doing his part. Maybe I worked with that person first and I played the character that my new actor is going to play. And so I was able to help them sort of bounce it and make sure that it sounded natural. And then I can use their recording for the next person and so on. It would be really cool to do it that way. That's how I've done it in the past when I've had people here in the studio. I can rehearse it with them, for example. And when you use Fiverr, you ain't rehearsing with people. I mean, yes, it's possible. It is absolutely possible, but I suspect it would cost more money. And that's not really what the what they're for. I mean, Fiverr is turn and burn, get stuff done and bust it out. Unless it's a big ass audio book that's 70,000 words or more, you're not going to really engage someone for 30 days without really paying for it. And so there are other places to find voice actors and their forums and other places. I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail on that particular aspect, but you can find them. You could Google for them, find places. I will warn you that the people who are using those likely have a higher standard as far as the pay is concerned. They probably won't ding you with stupid things like broadcast rights and commercial rights like Fiverr does, which just as a quick aside, I think is pretty much the eBay shipping of the old days where someone would sell you an item for 25 bucks and then the actual value of the item would be made up in shipping. And I kind of feel that's the way that broadcast and commercial rights are too. I mean, why are you paying them to put their voice down for you if you don't want to use it for one of those things? Now, granted, I guess it's nice to have a discount for someone who's using it for like a explainer video that's only going to be in their company. But I mean, I think the vast majority of people going there are going to need those two things, commercial or broadcast rights. So to have them be tacked on, it's just a way to to double dip because effectively they're getting you for additional funds and they're already really expensive. I mean, they take 20% from the person coming in. So the buyer pays an additional 20%. And then the person who's actually doing the work loses 20% of the money as well because that's the fiber fee. So they're making plenty of money. I have no idea why they also needed to throw that on, especially since it's a variable rate. It's based on the actor. At one point, I had a need for additional voices, the exact thing that it sounds like, just like in video games or animes or whatever. They'd be billed as doing a bunch of different characters. It all added up to around 200 words. I reached out to a guy who seemed like he'd do a great job. He could change his voice really well, that sort of thing. I said, look, I've only got about 200 words. How much would that cost? And he's like, it cost about 20 bucks. Okay. What about with the commercial and broadcast rights? He's like, I would be 50. I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, this just turned into about a minute and a half worth of recorded time is going to cost me a considerable amount of money for, for what it is. And even if he was terrible, it wouldn't have taken him more than 15 minutes to record everything I asked for. And I know this for a fact because ultimately I just did it myself, which is what we're going to segue into in a moment here. Ultimately, you have to think about the budget. I mean, is it worth it to you to have somebody else step in and do something like that for 70 or more dollars? I've seen a lot of people who charge $5 for 500 words because that's just quick and easy work because they're very experienced and they can turn it out really fast. But a lot of these folks on Fiverr who you're going to encounter or on the broker sites are going to charge a heck of a lot more than that. They're going to want 30, 40, $60 for this kind of thing. And whether it's of value or not, that's, that's not really up for debate. They choose the price. That's the value they place on it. 
My personal opinion is, is that I look to make roughly $40 an hour with my freelance time. I know that when you're thinking about taxes and everything else, maybe that's not much. But some of these folks are looking at making $100 to $500 an hour with their time. And while maybe they're getting that, it's not necessary to do something that you love and still make a living. I mean, some people are in foreign countries where they'd be making an absolute killing on that kind of salary. So it's ultimately up to you how much you're willing to pay and what the value is. And it's very important not to be like attacking them over their rates. So if somebody presents you, you you go to them and say, Hey, got a character. He's about 700 words and I need you to do them. And they say, it's going to cost a thousand dollars. And if that's outrageous to you, then it's really important to just walk away and say, Hey, thank you for your time. That's, that's more than my budget can handle and, and walk away. Or maybe you don't even say that because obviously they're not going to come down far enough to meet what your expectations are. But it's really important not to say, are you kidding me? That's insane. Why do you need a thousand dollars for such a short project? That's crazy. No, just don't do that. That's completely pointless. You know, maybe they don't want to do the work and this is their way to get out of it. There's so many reasons they might do it. I'm not even going to list any more than that. But I've used super high bids to get out of doing things I really didn't want to do. Because if someone was strangely willing to pay that, I guess I would break my rule. For example, I won't write nonfiction books. But if someone paid 10 times my rate, I might consider it. The thing is that you have to remember as a seller and a buyer is that if someone does agree to pay an exorbitant fee because you were trying to get out of something or whatever, they will have higher expectations. The more money you spend on any service, the higher your expectations are going to be. So the delivery needs to be pretty darn impressive. And some of these people believe they can. And that's great. I can tell you that based on samples and just listening from one person to the next, a lot of people do dramatically overcharge. So it's nice to go to a forum or find someone who's aspiring, any of those kinds of things, and really get them impassioned and see if you can't even partner with them and maybe pay a little less than their normal rate and get them on board. Everybody deserves to be paid for their time. All artists are working this isn't charity. So don't go into it thinking that you can lowball people into absurd levels like I'll buy you a pizza. I'll give you exposure. None of that nonsense. I mean, if you can figure it out and make it work, more power to you. I refuse to do that. And I really want to make sure that the people I work with feel appreciated and that I understand that they have bills to pay and that this isn't just fun for them to do my project. It can be fun, but also it needs to be lucrative and they need to make something. Now, I've had arguments with some of these folks, uh, and, and that's on me. I'm an idiot, where I've been like, really, that seems like a really high rate. That's why I'm telling you not to have this conversation, because I have, and it's not <laughs> worth your time. And someone just told me flat out, it's just not worth my time if you're not going to pay this much. And it, and it kind of reminds me of Mr. and Mrs. Smith when Vince Vaughn is like, I don't even get out of bed for less than $2 million. <laughs> I mean, if that's how it is, then that's that's how it is. Move on. There's plenty of people. Don't fight and make sure you're paying people what what they deserve. And make sure that you find a way to create some normalcy about value in your head. Don't go in with an expectation that's really low. Try and actually make your expectation too high. So that when people come in lower than your expectation, you're like, oh, thank goodness, that's going to fit the budget. And of course, as always, with budgets, stick to them. And let's segue into doing things yourself, okay? Now, we know that we have, let's say we have a budget of $500 to pay maybe six actors total, okay? You got six actors who need to come in and do some work. You got 500 bucks to pay them and... You need to be very frugal with this money because maybe you need to spend some money on Foley work or music. Maybe you can't do other aspects of the radio drama. We'll talk about that in a different podcast, but let's talk about the fact that if there are six characters and you wrote the 
radio drama, maybe you need to take on one of those roles. In my case, I played multiple characters in The Lost Disciple. I changed my voice. I used different accents. I applied some effects. And one of them was good enough to where I actually fooled my mom, which was awesome. She actually said the only way she caught on that it was me was because the way the character laughed. So that was pretty cool. Not everyone has this gift, but it is an acquired skill. You can learn to do these things. You can learn to play these characters. And it's good if you at least have some understanding of how to do it. Listen to other people do it. This is the cardinal rule of any form of entertainment is that you need to be a consumer of that entertainment before you decide to create it. You can't be like, I want to write a novel, but I never read. I want to make a movie, but I've never seen one. I want to write a radio drama, but I've never even heard one. Listen to them. Listen to the way that David Tennant plays the doctor in Big Finish or Paul McGann. Or go and listen to the Dark Adventure Radio Theater dramas. There's also tons more than just them. And really understand what they're doing. Now, I'll tell you, ages ago, I created a book trailer for Nightlife Interrupted. And I did the voiceover for Vinny. It was as dry and boring as you can possibly imagine. It was just monotone. I said the words and I didn't really think about it too much. But when it comes to voice acting, there's a few things that I can offer as far as just general advice. Number one, if you've ever seen a movie where a character is reading a novel to someone else and they put inflection into it and they get into the role and they play the different characters and they're doing it for a kid, that's what you're doing to make a radio drama. If you have ever read a book to a kid and you've done all those things, then you're, you, you have a head start. If you've played a role-playing game where you really got into it and you weren't just saying things like, how much will it cost to buy that loaf of bread? I am willing to save the princess if you pay me golds. Whatever the case may be, if you've done a little more than that, if you've got into character, you tried to do an accent, even if you did it badly, that doesn't matter. You've done some acting, done voice acting. It's a heck of a lot easier than doing it with your whole body. That's for sure. You're just, you have to ham it up. You don't care about how silly it is. And maybe once you're done and you listen back, you're like, whoa, you know, I could probably do a better job of that. For example, when I did Gareth in The Lost Disciple, there was one segment that it took me 25 takes to do it in a way that I liked. I'm sure that at least 10 of those takes were probably fine, but I was looking for something very specific and I was suffering to get it. I'm not getting that out of any of my other actors. So that's one of the benefits of doing some of these things for yourself. Maybe it's a main character and you have some pretty strong opinions about how they need to be conveyed. It might be a good idea for you to try and take that character on and really practice. Just listen to other people. Watch Robin Williams and learn how to be crazy and do stuff that maybe is outside your comfort zone. It's about practice. Everything about this whole process from the writing of the script to getting your voice actors to recording parts for yourself, the sound, the music, mastering it, getting it out in the world. All of it is about practice and it's an art form. And like any art form out there, you need to put forth some of yourself. You can't be reserved. You can't sit back and, and be a complete introvert in, in this regard. The best part about doing these dramas and writing it and, and recording your parts is that you're likely doing it alone. You can be as wild as you want when you're alone. You can do the worst accent you've ever heard and listen back and go, wow, I sound like a maniac or wow, actually that's, that's way better than I anticipated. These are the things that you want to walk away from and really push the boundaries of. And honestly, the more of them you do yourself, the more characters you play yourself, the easier it's going to be for you to convey to an actor what they need. And you're going to understand their challenges better. So ultimately, when they come at you with 50 bucks for eight minutes of work or whatever, you're going to be like, man, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's about how much I would want to charge for that because of how much work it was for me. Or you're going to be like, hmm, that seems like a really high price 
for something that I've been able to do, you know, however. So I guess I'm, I'm going to pass on that person and move on to someone who's going to come more in line with what it takes for me. Anyway, that is the primer for writing the script, working with actors, getting them on board, doing things yourself, figuring it all out. The next time we do the podcast, I'm going to dive into equipment and software and that sort of thing. The semantics of actually building it, which will help a lot with your casting, honestly, because then you can ask intelligent questions about what they're using. Some actors like to mention their gear in their profiles, wherever they happen to be advertising their services. It'd be good to understand what all that stuff means. Unfortunately, there are millions of microphones and dozens of audio interfaces and plenty of software out there to use. I'm going to really cover the more popular varieties and a couple of the fringe ones. I don't want to go into too much detail with that because there are plenty of awesome Google searches that will teach you all about that stuff. But in some cases, it's hard to even know where to start. You're like, which microphone do I buy? And of course, there are those out there who say the one that you can afford, blah, blah, blah. That's nonsense. I'm going to give you some more specific details than that and give you some links on what to look for. So that's the next podcast. So today, I want to thank you very much for listening. Look forward to seeing you next time. If you liked what you heard, you want to hear more, visit our website at www.societycasefiles.com. If you want to support the project, go to www.ko-fi.com slash societycasefiles. And if you'd like to listen to The Lost Disciple, visit either of those two sites and you will have access and check them out. Thanks again. Have a great day.